You know, I never cease to be amazed at how relevant the words of Jesus can be to our time. And certainly this morning is uh, no exception when we find out what Jesus has to say to us as Christians who live in the current economic environment of Silicon Valley. As we enter another Thanksgiving season, it seems so appropriate to me that we consider again what Jesus says, not so much about money, but what he says about our attitude toward money. He offers wisdom that this week, and perhaps for the rest of our lives, we could begin to count blessings rather than stack up wants, thus escaping what the media is calling a frenzy of greed in our culture. Listen to the San Jose Mercury, a front page article entitled Green with Envy. It says, at first glance, many people in Silicon Valley seem to have it all, SUVs, cell phones, $3 lattes, good jobs with rising pay and bonuses and great weather too. But then it went on to say, if these are the best times, people are asking, why am I not happier? Here, money is everywhere, seemingly in your face all the time. It's people glued to the stock ticker, the well-off, bulldozing, respectable homes and replacing them with mansions. The pursuit of money becomes a problem when it turns from a motivator to the sole motivation, then greed has got you. Money becomes an addiction, just like drugs and alcohol. And like any other addiction, it can take hold of your life and end up running it and ruining it. That's why what Jesus has to say is so relevant to us who live in this environment. Whether we have little and covet that we had more, or we have much and we're frustrated with it and still want more, an antidote for this disease of the soul comes from Jesus in the form of a mandate that rather than be greedy, we be thankful. We're content. And we refrain from joining the stampede to acquire more of everything. Let's listen to his wisdom. First, Jesus says, we can't serve God and money. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be be also. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, I, I wonder, for those of us who take the name Christian this morning, how many of us really have our treasures in heaven in terms of the time and energy devoted in our thought life to things on earth? Jesus, interestingly enough, if you read this carefully, takes the addictive power of money so seriously that he assigns it a quality of deity saying it can easily become an object of worship on the par with our worship of God, even above our worship of God. And that's when this thing really gets serious. Now, if you doubt the power of money, consider any newsstand. See how many publications are devoted to money, how many primetime channels on television are devoted to money. Check out how many of our thoughts and conversations are focused either on money or the things money can buy. Check out how many if nothing more than small fights you've had at home this week about money, check out the revolution in purchasing on the internet coupled with the hundreds of catalogs flooding into our mailboxes. And then consider the euphoria that many feel over the NASDAQ record or of a company going public. And then did we sense any of the, a similar euphoria when we saw parents presenting their children for baptism today that has something eternal about it or a person kneeling, receiving baptism. Where is our heart? 
It's where our treasure is. And you can pretty easily determine just by checking out what kind of gets you euphoric. I was waiting for an appointment the other day. day. It was early in the morning. Two guys were on either side of me and they were, one was reading Investors Daily and the other one was in some financial page. They just seemed to want that before their first cup of coffee and they were going over the stocks and finally they started talking to each other about what their stocks had done, what they were going to do, how much money they were making for an entire half hour. They didn't talk about anything but money. And I realized that they, like many of us, were infected with this virus of the soul that I would call, all I want is a little more than what I have. Our elders discussed this sermon and we talked about the temptations we as Christians face living in this economic environment. One said, well, I can flash up on the computer my net worth in an instant. I can do it several times a day and find out how many times a day my net worth is changing. Or the net worth of many people is public knowledge now. And no matter how much we have, we tend to compare what we have with someone who has more. So then we start craving more. And then this one really got me. A child came home from school discussing the exotic vacation his friend had just enjoyed with his family, and then he asked his mom, are we poor? Because the child had just come back from the Greek islands, and because this child could not go to the Greek islands, in their mind, their family was poor. Let's face it. We're susceptible to greed and to discontentment with what God has already given. That's the disease of the environment in which we live, and we're all impacted by it almost every minute of every day. And that's why Jesus gives such clear warnings. Beware of covetousness, for a person's life does not consist in the abundance of things he or she possesses. Don't store, more, don't store up more than you need. Don't make material security the object of our affections or first priority, because Jesus knew if we do, we'll put God on the back burner. And then he said, share your resources, your possessions, or they'll begin to possess you and you'll be like the rich fool who kept getting more and more and rather than then sharing, felt he needed more and more, so he put it in the barns and then he died and Jesus called him a fool. You see, Jesus is warning that we can't do an impossible thing and that is serve God and money. Many try. But if we love money, you see, we become obsessed with it. We become jealous of those who have more of it than we do. We become possessive of it until it possesses us and inevitably God and God's kingdom business is put on the back burner. That's what's wrong with it. In Grissom's novel, The Testament, a wealthy man leaves his fortune to one child who is a missionary and ignores his other children. The attorney goes on a long search for this daughter, tells her about her inheritance, and lo and behold, she refuses to accept it. The attorney attempts to persuade her to take it, claiming how much good she could do with the money for mission causes and how much harm it's going to do to the other children should, they refuse, should she refuse to accept these funds. But she still refuses and says she'll pray for the protection of her brothers and sisters as they receive the money. The story goes on to tell of the dramatic impact that this missionary had upon a hard-nosed attorney when he finally met someone who couldn't be seduced by money. And indeed, how rare those persons are. You know, like every sermon, after doing some introspection, I, when I began, I thought, I'm a pretty contented guy. But you know, I found how often I'm tempted to want more, no matter how much I have. I worry about future security. I want to do more for my kids than I can do. And every time I go into this area, it's a laundry list that's a sure ticket to misery. And I've learned, literally, every day, I have to recommit 
to what's going to be the primary focus of my life or I can get sucked into everything that's going on out there because you and I rub shoulders with people who have more than we do every day. It's in our face, as the paper says. We have to choose which direction we're going to go, who we're going to serve, or we're going to get caught. And so as we approach another Thanksgiving season, I ask all of us, who or what do we serve, really? God or money? Because Jesus says we can't do both. Then secondly, he said there are consequences for serving money rather than God. Listen to the writer of Ecclesiastes. He was a man who had it all. He was sort of the Bill Gates of the Old Testament, if you wish. He says, whoever loves money never has enough. Isn't that interesting? Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Enough isn't enough. Because money is addictive, you see, like any drug, the more we have, the more we want. And to ignore our Lord's warning about the love of money is to live with chronic discontentment, restlessness, disillusionment, misery, and so goes the list. No wonder the prophet Haggai gave this warning. Give careful thought to your ways. You've planted much, but you've harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And haven't we all felt that? That's the reason the person in the Mercury asks, if these are the best of times, why am I not happier? Because we look for happiness in the wrong God. Many in our valley are reaping the consequences of serving money. Our bodies are being permanently damaged by stress. Marriages and relationships scarred, our emotional lives shredded, our relationship with God put on the back burner. And you know what's ironic is that people still don't get it. I was, I, I'm kind of hooked on this latest uh, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire show. I don't know if you've watched that. <laughs> and this guy gets to be a millionaire the other night. Finally, somebody won. And, and, and Regis was saying, you know, this is going to change your life. And asked the wife, what does she want to do? Well, I want to go to Paris. And they're going to be on Good Morning America tomorrow. And I thought, yeah, that's going to change your life. But how many of us would think getting a million dollars is just about the best thing that could ever happen? Or take the show Greed, if you want to watch another one. You can just see what's popular in America. And the disillusionment in all of this is it won't produce what it promises. And that's why Jesus is concerned. Happily, some are waking up and fighting back against this disease of mind and soul. Ken Griffey, who plays with the Seattle Mariners, made a decision following the death of golfer Payne Stewart. Mr. Stewart was a Christian. And at his memorial service, it was highlighted how this guy gave top priority to his family, always. And Ken Griffey, realizing that all the money he was earning was not worth the time he was missing with his own family, who lives in Florida, decided he would find a job nearer home no matter what it cost him in pay cut. And I would suggest this guy's waking up to reality, to correct priorities, hopefully in time. So, so my prayer is that this Thanksgiving season, God might help us rethink our priorities about where we are in reference to all that's going on in Silicon Valley. You know where you are, so do I. To rethink our relationship with Jesus and, and, and perhaps to listen to the wisdom of Jesus and make gratitude rather than accumulating more the central focus of our lives. And if that sounds appealing, let's go on. 
How would you conquer an addiction to money? The power of an addiction is that addicts don't know we're addicted until consequences make it impossible for us to deny it. I would suggest, if you're turning off to what you're hearing today, it might be a sign you've got a problem. No alcoholic wants to hear from a family member, you've got a problem. And on and on goes the story about addiction. But if we know we have a problem with who or what we worship in life, here's some suggestions, proven suggestions that can help us make, break free. First, we can confess our addiction to God. We can be honest and say, God, I'm attracted by money. I worship it. I, I, I can't do it myself in terms of breaking free. And then we can confess that literal inability to win this battle against worshiping money in our own strength. It's all around us. It's in our face, as I've said. We can't do it in our own strength. I know I can't. And then we can ask God to help us cultivate a sense of gratitude for what he has already given and to give us the insight that God alone is the source of everything we've achieved and possessed. It's not me, it's not my talent, it's not what I deserve. It was a gift of grace entrusted to me by God. I would suggest that a thankful spirit is the supreme virtue for the Christian. It leads to all other kinds of virtues and it's the best weapon by which we can break free from serving money rather than God. You see, it fills us with humility of knowing life and everything that goes with it is a gift. And that frees us from the bondage of pride and jealousy and competitiveness and love of power associated with serving money. I think Paul the Apostle articulates this thankful spirit best. Oh, that I, I was there. He said, I've learned the secret of being content in every and any and every situation. I can do everything through him who strengthens me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and then the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will, keep, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I was thinking, some of you who might be here today for the first time, and maybe you have a stereotype that, you know, the preachers and church is always asking for money, and you heard the sermon was going to be on money, and oh, here we go again, the church is asking for money. You know, that's not what Jesus does. Jesus isn't in the business of taking. He's in the business of giving. And you know what he wants to give us? Peace and contentment and freedom from the rat race and freedom from this disease of the soul that you know is destroying you and I know it's destroying me if it gets a hold on us. That's what Jesus is saying in this text. And so this week, would you practice with me the discipline of simply counting blessings rather than continuing writing out a wish list for more? And I want to say that if you know Jesus as Savior, you've got the only treasure in life that really matters. Every Saturday I see signs that says estate sales. And it reminds me that all the stuff we're living for in this world, we're going to put back into the box one day. And if that's all you've got when the day comes that God calls you home, then that's all you've got. But Jesus wants us to have something more. Treasures in heaven that we can never lose. It begins with knowing him. And that's what he would have us open our eyes to today. So here's a challenge. Last week, our staff took time at our lunch break to just count blessings. So we began to tell our stories of God's goodness. And you know, a, a spirit of sweetness and warmth filled that room. It was wonderful. God has been so good to us. 
Would you join me in sitting down with family or friends this week and, and, and mark it on your calendar. Make some time to just sit and articulate the way God has answered your prayers, blessed you, responded to you in ways that are beyond your imagination. Yesterday, I went over my journal since January and I couldn't get over how good God has been to me and to my family this year. So much more than we deserve. After you've articulated your blessings, tell God thank you. Tell him to free you from wanting more. And then ask him to give you the spirit of Jesus to not be like the rich fool, but begin to share with those who have so much less. And you know what? In return, he'll give you treasures that are priceless, that all the money in the world cannot buy. Peace and contentment and a generous spirit and hope and joy. These are the treasures Jesus would have us take hold of through faith as we enter this week of Thanksgiving. I hope you'll do that. And I hope as you leave today, you'll leave counting your blessings. And we're going to do it right now just as we close because I'd like to have us take a moment of silence and I don't know what you brought in with you, but maybe you could get rid of the stuff that has to do with wanting and exchange greed for gratitude even before we leave. Let's have some prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for your patience with us. So often we're like children playing with the boxes when you gave us a present with something so much richer in it and all we can see is the stuff that doesn't matter. Lord, open our eyes, change our hearts. And this week, by your spirit, cut out the greed in us and replace it with a grateful, contented, thankful spirit. We pray in Christ's name, amen.